Well, thank you so much. I love being here. Happy Thanksgiving weekend to all of you. I hope you had a great time with family and, and friends and food and football and all that comes with it. And uh, so glad you're here today. I think this is Rick and I have been doing this for 15 years, I think, this weekend, 15. And so it's just a blessing. Thank you for sharing him today with Compass. Uh, he is blessing them uh, already, I know. And, and I'm excited to come here and be with you. And I love our friendship. I love your pastor. Uh, he's such a great leader and a great friend. And I love my friend David Meyer and just love the relationship we all have together as churches. I wanna speak to you about happiness today. That's happy, right? All right, let's be happy today. And I was amazed recently when I saw that the most popular class at Yale University right now is a class called the Science of Well-Being. It's a class designed to help students discover happiness, and an entire college class on happiness. The professor is a woman named Lori Santo. She's a psychologist. And this class has seen four million people enroll since 2018 online. Santos says, our brain lies to us about what makes us happy. I agree with that. Mind deception is a huge weapon of the enemy. And the enemy loves to convince us that we're not happy. We're going to use God's word today to speak a little truth into our lives about happiness on this Thanksgiving weekend. Because we're all in search of happiness, aren't we? I don't think anyone wants to be miserable. I think we want to be happy. We want to be joyful. We would love for life to be free of worry and anxiety and stress. And I know, by the way, that happiness is the temporary condition and joy is the overall condition of the heart. But today I'm going to kind of use those terms interchangeably. We're going to put them right up there together. And here's why. And this is where it gets very serious. At the center of the universe is a God who's happy. Most people don't get that. They see God as some strange cosmic killjoy, but there are massive amounts of joy in heaven. Jesus once said this about happiness. He said, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. We'll look at that story in just a few moments that kind of led up to that statement. But Jesus is saying that every time somebody gets it right, there's joy in heaven. There's laughter in heaven. Listen to me. You and I were made for joy. And to miss out on joy is to miss out on the reason for our existence. C.S. Lewis put it like this. Joy is the serious business of heaven. And at the center of the universe is a God who is happy. And I want to begin there. And I want to ask you this question. What was the happiest moment of your life? What's been the greatest day of your life? What is the best 24-hour unit of time that you have experienced since you've been on the planet? What would you say if I ask you that question? Because there have been some extraordinary days in your life. There was the day you were born, the day when the clock of your life started ticking and you sucked in your first lung full of breath and that whole adventure, the whole miracle of your existence began. That's an amazing day. You don't remember it, but your mother remembers it. Your father might remember it. I don't know. You never know about dads. <laughs> there was the day you took your first step. You were immobile, and then you were mobile, and you were a walker, and your world was never the same, and your mother's world was never the same. There was the day you spoke your first word, and from that day on, you were a talker. And some of you started talking on that day, and you haven't come up for air ever since. <laughs> there was the day you got your first job. 
the first time you got a payroll check with your name on it, and that was a really happy day, and then you saw how much the U.S. government was taking, and it wasn't as happy. <laughs> Maybe it was the day you fell in love. Maybe the day your child was born. Maybe the day you met Jesus or discovered your giftedness or experienced forgiveness. But I wanted to offer another candidate. I believe the case can be made that the greatest day of your life could be this day right here, November 26, 2023. Maybe the happiest day of your life could be today. Not that today is going to be pleasant or pain-free because maybe it won't be. Surely it won't be for some. But honestly, this day is the only day that you have. It's the only day guaranteed for you. Every other day that is gone before is irretrievably gone, and it will not come back. And tomorrow, I mean, we're hopeful, right? But tomorrow isn't promised. And I just want you to know this, that there are people who spend their whole lives regretting something that happened on one of those days or wishing one of those days would come back. I've done it, and you've done it. You have days you wish you could do over. And so I want to suggest to you that this square right here on the calendar, November 26th, this is God's gift to you. This is the day that counts. And I want to launch into this talk with the scripture that maybe you're familiar with. It's from the book of Psalms, and it says this. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Would you say it with me? This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I want to talk to you about what happy people know, what they understand. And if you're taking notes, you can start with this. Happy people know that today matters. Today matters. They know that today is significant. The scripture didn't say yesterday was the day that the Lord made. That, that was a good day. It doesn't say tomorrow is the day the Lord will make. We'll be glad when tomorrow gets here. No, it says Today is the day to rejoice. But how does that work? Like, what does that look like? What if today hasn't been that great? What if today didn't start out that well? What if you have a bad hair day? What if the kids are cranky? What if the bank account's a little lean? How can we make today the happiest day? Maybe it's just too normal for that. I have six grandchildren, and the youngest is Harry. He just turned two. And he is a very happy child. And I caught him talking about happiness to his Nana. Would you take a moment and look at this? Harry, what do you have? A bar. A bar? Are you so strong? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is it taste good? Does it taste good? <laughs> Are you silly? Oh, are you showing me a sad face? <laughs> what? Open house. You want Nana. what? A bar. A bar. You have one. A bar. Are you happy today? Oh yeah. Oh happy. yeah. Happy. That's so good. That doesn't have much to do with what we're talking about. I just wanted to show my grandson, but <laughs> <laughs> his last line. Oh yeah, I'm happy. I think that's what God wants for us. Now let's talk about this. God also knows sorrow. Jesus was called a man of sorrows. But the sorrow of God and the anger of God are a temporary response to a fallen world. Joy is God's basic character. Joy is God's eternal destiny. Now we know that there is a being in the universe that 
wants us to live in sorrow, the enemy. First Peter 5 describes him like this, your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So the evil one desires people to live in sorrow, but God's choice for humanity is joy. Now, one caveat here, the joy that the Bible speaks of is in the framework of a Christ-honoring life. You understand this is not saying do anything you want that'll make you happy and it'll be great. No, what the Bible speaks of is the joy of the Lord. That is the joy that's experienced in a life where Christ is the Lord of it. So happiness is a gift for those who are at the very heart of God. I want that to be clear. That's the kind of joy we're talking about. And you can become a joyful person with God's help. It really is possible. In fact, it's a learned skill. But here's the truth, friend. You must take responsibility for your joy. Not your friend, not your boss, not your parent, not your loved ones. Your joy is your responsibility. You're responsible for your own happiness. You can't put that on someone else. It's too big a burden. You can hope and pray that they would contribute to your happiness. That's helpful. But we must take responsibility for our own joy. And this is such a profound concept for us, partly because you and I, we live in a world with this illusion that says, I'll be happy someday when the conditions of my life change and it'll become easier for me to be happier in. So people are at school and they think, I'll be happy when I get out of school. People are single and they think, I'll be happy someday when I get married. People get married and they say, I'll be happy someday when I get kids in the house. People get kids in the house and they say, I'll be happy someday when we get kids out of the house. Right? And the psalmist says, no, no, this is God's day. This is the day God made. This is the day God has redeemed in Jesus. If you're going to be happy, it needs to be today, he says. Here's another one. Happy people know that you should hang around other happy people. If you want to pursue joy, if you want to become a joyful person, you've got to hang around joyful people. Proverbs 15 says this. A cheerful look brings joy to the heart, and good news makes for good health. So you have to find a community of joyful people to be around, some people of whom you can be happy together. Here's something we have to realize. You and I, we're better together, amen? We need each other. And here's the truth about human beings, and you just need to hear this. There are people in your world who have rejected joy. They have decided to become victims. They don't want joy. They don't want you to be joyful. They are black holes of joy. And if you give them the power, they will suck the joy right out of you. They're joy robbers. That's probably not the kind of people that you want to spend large amounts of time with. Now, I want to encourage you to just simply write down a few names of people who bring you joy. The names of one or two people who you see them, something inside you lights up. Now, it has to be somebody you know. It can't be like Margot Robbie or Ryan Gosling, okay? It's okay if you like the Barbie movie. That's fine. But it's got to be realistic. It's got to be someone you know. Then make a joy appointment with them to spend some time with that person. If you're serious about pursuing joy, you need to spend regular and large amounts of time with life-enhancing, joy-producing people. Don't spend time with negative Nancy and Debbie Downer and melancholy Molly and gloomy Gus. You need to be around people who will give you and teach you joy. Let me give you an example. This is a picture of Wanda Dench and Jamal Hilton. Wanda is a grandmother from Arizona, and she accidentally texted Jamal and invited him 
to her Thanksgiving dinner in 2016. Jamal was 17 years old at the time, and she told him that dinner was at her house at 3 p.m. on Thanksgiving Day, 2016. The problem is it was the wrong number. Jamal replies back, who's texting me? And she says, thinking that she was texting her grandson, she says, your grandmother. <laughs> After the initial confusion, they both finally figured out it was the wrong number, to which Jamal jokingly replied, can I still get a plate, though? And it started an annual tradition between the two of them, and they, yes, this last Thursday, they just spent their eighth Thanksgiving together. You can clap for that. That's fine. Happy people know to hang out with other happy people. Here's another one. This is so important. Happy people know that you must put the past behind you. You've got to. I had a very happy revelation a couple of months ago. Um, the whole year in 2023, I have been saying a term that, that my congregation has noticed, my wife. I've just been saying, man, I feel 57 today. You know, and I know that's not that old, but I feel old when I wake up. I don't know what it is, but when you turn 55 in this world, you wake up and like you just have random pain. Anybody notice that? You're just like, you're like my, I wake up and my foot is hurting. I'm like, how can my foot be hurting? I've been laying down for nine hours. My foot's hurting. Anyway, so I've just been saying, like, I, I feel 57 today. Man, I feel, I told my trainer, man, I feel 57 today. So we're laying in bed, my wife and I, and it's, uh, I'm, I mean, it's like 11 o'clock at night. And my sweet wife, uh, who's honestly a woman of few words, she puts her hand on my hand, and she says, I want to tell you something. And I said, okay. And she goes, you're 56. <laughs> I'm 56? She goes, you've been telling everybody you're 57, and I just wanted to tell you you're 50. I said, no, babe, I'm 57. She goes, honey, do the math. You were born in 1966. And she said, I was like, oh, I'm 56. I get a whole year back. And I'm like wanting to talk about it. And she's like, hey, go to bed, okay? And I'm like, why hadn't you told me this before? She goes, I don't like correcting you in public, and I just forgot about it. So I recently just turned 57, but I got to tell you, I got to do it all over again, <laughs> and it's been great. Here's the truth. What would certain seasons of your life look like if you could do them over again? I live in Colleyville. We have a grocery store there called Market Street. They have a hot food court, and when they first opened up, they had this really cool area where you could like create your own salad, create your own pizza, create your own pasta bowl. And so one day I'm having lunch there and I'm like, I'm gonna eat pasta because that's what Christians do, all right? And so, uh, so I was making my own pasta bowl and when I got done, they gave me the receipt and the receipt, I still have it, it looks like this. It says, create your own past, $9.49. <laughs> Apparently there was limited room for letters on each line item and the receipt left off the A in pasta. And I kept the receipt because wouldn't it be amazing if you could recreate your past for $9.49? How many of you would do that? If you could, even just for one day, $10 for a day to kind of reimagine, 10 bucks for that thing you said, that choice you made, that mistake you repeated, the leadership moment you would love to have back. I mean, who wouldn't? pay $10 to have a chance to relive some moments in your life. Not all, but some. 
And we all have moments in our life where we've maybe lacked integrity, moments we weren't proud of, seasons we wish we could have back. I have my share of moments like that. Now, some mistakes we can laugh at years later. Uh, When I was a very young pastor, I was a youth pastor in Los Angeles. I was 23 years old, and I had never uh, performed a wedding before. It was my first wedding, and I really wanted to get it right. And so I kept rehearsing it and practicing it and, ha- you know, all this. And I got everything. Everything was perfect. Everything was absolutely flawless until the very end. And, you know, the pastor at the end is supposed to give an announcement and tell what the next thing is. And I said, I got up there proudly, and I said, uh, thank you so much for coming to this wedding. And the bride and groom wanted me to make sure that you all felt welcome to attend the conception tonight. Reception. Reception. You are, you are definitely not invited to the conception. <laughs> yeah. That really happened. Wow. The pastor I was working for, because uh, I, I didn't even go to the reception. I was, so, I was so embarrassed. I just went into my office, and the lead pastor comes in the door, and he goes, really? Conception? Seriously? But now we can laugh at that, right? But some of our mistakes are not that funny, are they? Because some of those moments we live over and over again. Friend, your past may impact who you are, but it must never limit who you can become. Some of us can relate. We we get paralyzed by our past, and it feels like we can never get back in a trust relationship with Jesus, and it robs us of joy, and it steals us of happiness, and it causes us to be in a constant state of unforgiveness, and it makes us paranoid to the point where we often believe that we could never have a good marriage or be a good parent or have close friends. And most damaging of all, it affects our ability to be in a loving relationship with Jesus. I love this amazing moment from the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter three. Paul says, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Don't dwell on the past. You can't change it, but you can let God change your future. You can write the next chapter. You can change the script moving forward. Happy people know that. Here's another thing happy people know. Happy people celebrate what heaven celebrates. Happy people celebrate what heaven celebrates. I told you we were going to look at a story in Luke 15. It starts in verse 3. Jesus is telling this story to a bunch of religious leaders And he says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. So in that culture, a flock of a hundred sheep, it's a pretty good flock, right? Pretty good size. Like an average flock might be 20 or 30. For me, anything more than one sheep would be a lot. (laughs) I live in Colleyville, and I I don't know that I could handle more than one sheep. But a hundred sheep is definitely a lot of sheep. So suppose one has a hundred sheep, but they lose one. I love what Jesus says here. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And I read that and I think to myself, well, I don't know. Does he? I don't know if I would. Like, I'm not a shepherd, but it just seems to me it's a little risky to leave the 99 in the open country to go after the one. It seems to me that maybe the most responsible thing to do would be to stick with the 99 and write off the loss. Because if you go after the one and you leave the 99 in the open country, then don't you run the risk of losing more? So here is Jesus asking a question and acting as if the answer is obvious when the answer, I don't think, was obvious. 
So he says, doesn't he leave the 99 in the country and go after the one? And everybody, I think, that is watching says, no way he does that. But Jesus is explaining to them how the kingdom of God is going to work, and it's different. Because what about the 99? I mean, how are they going to feel? I mean, aren't they going to feel like they're being neglected? And Jesus says, no, he leaves the 99 for the one. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, we're going to have an I found my sheep party. Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. And then Jesus says that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Always wondered, who are those 99 people that don't need to repent? (laughs) And do you hear what Jesus is saying here? He's saying to the religious leaders, come on, guys. Come on. Rejoice with me. You're standing guard at the door because you don't want anybody inappropriate to come in. Join the party. Celebrate with me. There was one who was lost, and now he is found. And if you want to know what heaven celebrates, that is what heaven celebrates. Heaven does not celebrate that 99 are gathered together safely and comfortably. Heaven celebrates when one is lost and rescued and found. This is what heaven gets joyful about. Now, I have some friends in the ministry, many people who say, well, you know, we don't worry about attendance. We don't play the numbers game. We're more into quality, not quantity. That sounds kind of spiritual, honestly, but it's not very biblical. Jesus counts everyone because everyone counts. Everyone matters. Uh, we got a lot of parents in the room. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that when my kids were young, I uh, take all three of them to Six Flags so my wife, Michelle, could have a rare, quiet day at home. I never did this. We're only imagining. <laughs> it would be good in hindsight if I had done that. I, in my mind, I, I did it, but... Uh, These are all things in my imagination. But at the time, I didn't do it. But let's just imagine that I did that, and I take all three kids to Six Flags, and we have a wonderful day, but it's in Texas, it's hot, it gets kind of sweaty in the afternoon, and we're all getting very tired, and we decide we're going to go home. But at that point, I realize they only have two kids with me and not three. But I'm really tired, so I'm like, not going to bother, right? Like, (laughs) you know what? I'm just going to go home, right? I'm going to cut my losses. And so... I go home, and I've only got two kids with me, and I ring the doorbell. I don't know why it's my own house, but I'm gonna, in this story, I'm ringing the doorbell. I'm ringing the doorbell, and my wife greets me at the door, and she's like, um, baby, we, we have three children, and there are only two children here. And so I say, look, babe, I don't want to play the numbers game, okay? I don't want to get caught up in that. Like, I'm more interested in quality than quantity, If you'll notice, these two kids that I brought home are quality, right? You notice the one I left behind, maybe it's better this way, right? (laughs) Now that's funny, right? But here's what we all know. A loving father would never say that. If one was missing, then nothing and no one would matter so much in that moment as the one that was lost. And so Jesus is telling this story to religious leaders and today he's telling it to the church. And you wonder if the sheep were thinking, well, the shepherd should be giving us attention. I mean, doesn't the shepherd know how long we've been in this flock? Doesn't the shepherd know how generous we've been with our wool over the years? Really generous. And he's just just gonna neglect the 99 for the one? I've actually heard people in church talk like that. And friend, every time we have a conversation like that, it absolutely breaks the heart of God because he cares about the one. 
because he leaves the 99. He still loves the 99, mind you. He loves them intensely, but he has to go focus on the one sometimes. Happy people, they celebrate what heaven celebrates. Here's one more. I found something fascinating in Psalms 126. This is a psalm of ascent. What's a psalm of ascent? Well, the children of Israel would sing these songs as they were headed up to Jerusalem. If you've ever been to Israel, you know Jerusalem is the highest point. So they would sing the songs as they ascended up to Jerusalem. And here's the song they were singing. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with what? Joy. Joy. Say it with me. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. I love that. They're just singing along. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are happy about it. Now, lest you think otherwise, life was not actually easy for these people. These were songs that they would sing to remind themselves of God's grace and mercy and provision and protection and his salvation. So here's the final one. Please remember this. Happy people know to remind themselves that the Lord is good. Okay? Happy people know to remind themselves that the Lord is good. That the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. I'm gonna tell you about these people. They had been in Babylonian captivity for 50 years. They did not have a temple in Jerusalem at that time because it had been destroyed and was lying in ruins. There wasn't even a wall around the city yet. Nehemiah had not shown up when Psalm 126 was written. The place was in shambles. They were exposed to enemies on every side. And they're singing, the Lord has done great things to us and we are filled with joy. I read that and thought, I don't even understand that. And then I looked down at verse five. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Here's what I want to remind you of today, friend. There's somebody today on your row, maybe somebody a couple seats over, maybe somebody holding a baby in the nursery, maybe somebody getting coffee out in the lobby, maybe someone sitting on their couch watching online, someone very close to you is experiencing something in between these two extremes, tears and joy. I mean, we have no idea, right, what's going on in the row we're sitting in. But there seems to be some indication here in Psalm 126 that even in the dry seasons of life that there is a path back to real, genuine, supernatural happiness, genuine joy. And I just want to tell you, it's not lost on me that not everyone is always joyful. But we can work toward it. We can pray about it. We can practice it. I've heard people say this a lot. Never really understood it, but I've heard people say, you know, the Lord doesn't care if I'm happy. He just wants me to be obedient. Really? Because I think he cares about both of those things. Like, let me ask you this. We have lots of parents in the rooms. Moms, how many of you care if your children are happy? Just a quick raise of hands. You care, right? Dads, you care if your children are happy? Of course you care. Father God absolutely cares if his children are happy. This is from the heart of Jesus in John 15. These are the words of Jesus. I have told you this 
In other words, Jesus says, the reason I've been teaching my purpose, my mission, I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus wants his followers to have joy. Jesus said he came and taught to inebriate people with joy. And the problem with human beings, according to Jesus, is not that we're too happy for God and God wants us to get into being more serious. It's that we are not happy enough by far and God wants us to get into joy. And so Jesus says, I have come as the great joy bringer. I have come so that you may be filled with my kind of joy. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. I want to ask you something today. I want you to stand up if and only if this verse is true in your life. Just stand up. No pressure. Can I ask you a question? Seriously? Like some of you have loved ones that got a bad diagnosis last week. I know that. Some of you uh, hate your job. Some of you are struggling with anxiety and depression. And you stood up so quick, you didn't hesitate. You didn't check your bank account. You didn't consult your spouse. You didn't check the stock market. You just stood up because there was something instinctively in you that said, wait a minute, if I don't stand up, I have to explain to those exiles who were taken out of their homeland why I'm not standing up to say that God has been good to me. And my guess is, not everything in your life is great. My guess is, not everything is perfect. My guess is, some things are downright scary. Yet when you focus, you know that during this message, your heart has been pumping blood through your veins. And you woke up this morning breathing. I'm guessing that some of you are standing next to the great thing that God has done for you. The Lord has done great things. Some of you are standing next to your praise report. A while back, there were a prayer request. Now they're a praise report. The Lord has done great things. So this is the day, today. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let's be people of joy. Let's recognize that today matters. Let's hang around happy and joyful people. Let's put the past behind us. Let's celebrate what heaven celebrates. And may we always acknowledge, even in the dry seasons, that the Lord has been good to us. And he'll do it. He'll do it again. Let me pray over you. Father, help us to be people of joy. And I want to pray for any person right now who might be find, trying to find joy. I want everyone who can hear my voice that joy is found in a friendship and a relationship in a covenant with Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would all find that on this Thanksgiving weekend. Thank you, Jesus, for being the great joy bringer. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.